Welcome to Becoming Boundary, the podcast that teaches you how to say yes to the space you need and the connection you crave. I'm your host, Krista Resnick. I'm a master life coach and boundary expert for women. I'm also a sought-after speaker and mother to three adultish sons. It wasn't that long ago that I was a boundary disaster. My time never felt like my own. I couldn't set a boundary and speak my truth. And my most important relationships suffered greatly. Fast forward to today and I've successfully coached thousands of women to heal from their people-pleasing patterns and step into true freedom and confidence. I created Becoming Boundary to help you do the same. Be sure to tune in for tips and tools from me, interviews with other incredible coaches and therapists and speakers, plus one-on-one live coaching calls and so much more. If you're ready to start setting healthy boundaries so you can create the space you need and the connection you crave, then you're in the right space. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Becoming Boundaried. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Today, I I feel like I have a, a special gift, a treat, something really, really beautiful for you. And honestly, for myself, this conversation, this interview that I had today matters to me so, so deeply. Today, I am sharing with you my interview with Anchin Texter, who is a licensed dynamic emotional integration trainer and consultant. And Anchin specializes specifically in teaching about anger and boundaries, along with emotional regulation, self-care, preventing burnout. She offers a beautiful variety of five courses that she has, in fact, created and authors, which is Befriending Anger, Befriending Sadness, Befriending Shame, Befriending Fear, and the workshop Awakening to Your Emotion. Emotions. We have more than one. So the reason why I'm so excited about this interview is because I love anger. I love anger, and I believe to be true that anger has gotten such a bad rap, which Anshin and I actually talk about in this interview. And I believe that anger has especially gotten a bad rap for those of us who have identified with playing the nice woman. We are taught from an early, early age that we need to be the nice girl, that we need to, um, you know, apologize, look how we made someone feel, that we shouldn't shine our light, that we shouldn't say this, that we shouldn't say that, that we just have to smile and acquiesce. And anger is stuffed and suppressed and repressed. Meanwhile, it is so powerful and potent 
in terms of helping us connect with what really matters to us, with our values, with the things that we need. So no, we don't go out into the world having this intensity, punching people and kicking people and and shouting and screeching and cussing at people. No, no. And that's typically where we go when we think of anger. Right away, we kind of go to those extreme type situations. Many of us know someone like that, but when we really understand our emotions, first and foremost, and specifically how anger presents itself in our life, in our bodies, to guide us, to help us, to direct us to our desires, to our needs, to our values, whoa, it takes a whole entire different framework. So That's what Anshin and I are unpacking in this episode. Anshin is just a beautiful support person who really helps caregivers, healers, stay-at-home moms, empaths, empty nesters, people going through transitions in their lives. She loves helping clients recognize and change problem behaviors and transition into new phases of their lives and define who they are and what they care about. And again, anger can really be that arrow that points directly to, hey, this is what matters to you. This is what you care about. Anjan also teaches people how to sort of manage or ride their waves of emotion through emotion regulating practices. And she works with clients one-on-one or in groups with students in her online courses. So emotions are at the core of who we are and how we show up in the world. And Anchin teaches that when you know what you're feeling You've got a lot more to work with, a lot more power in your life to decide how to act, what kind of relationships you want to have, where you want to spend your free time, the kind of legacy that you will create with your life, the kind of memories that you desire to create. So what I'm trying to tell you is that emotions literally affect everything. And when you listen to what your emotions are telling you, you can actually befriend them. And you can make your emotions some of your best allies. You are going to love this episode with Anchin Texter. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to reach out And let me know, what messaging as a child did you receive about anger? Are you in touch with your anger? Are you afraid of your anger? Have you been taught that anger is this wrong, sinful emotion that you have to run from, suppress, table and never talk about. So don't be afraid to hesitate. I always love hearing from you. And 
I just know that you're going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here is my interview with Anshin Texter. Welcome, Anshin, to the Becoming Boundaried show. Super excited to dive into all things emotions, specifically anger today. So glad you're here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk about boundaries, which is such an important topic for everybody to understand. Yes. Yes. I actually, right before, I'm so glad to hear you say that, right before I met with you here, I actually did a Facebook Live on, does my work really matter? Like who's thinking about boundaries right now in the wake of everything that's going on, who's thinking about boundaries? Are they even important? Does my work matter? And as quick as I had that thought, I also had the realization of how imperative boundaries actually are, which we'll unpack, I'm guessing in today's show, but I'm really glad that you opened with that because boundaries are so connected with emotions and feelings and, and anger and, you know, to our childhood when a lot of us had to pack those things away. So I think this is going to be a really, really essential show podcast episode in our current, uh, state of conditioning right now. Absolutely. Boundaries are essential. If you don't know what your boundaries are, then you're like a leaf on the wind and any kind of big gust of wind can buffet you around and make you go a place where you didn't necessarily want to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So with that being said, I I think a fun place for us to start would be sharing with the audience that actually how I met you was through taking your course called Befriending Anger. So I'd like to know myself personally, and I'm sure the listeners would love to know, how did you stumble upon this work of really befriending any of your emotions? I love that concept of befriending my emotions. And when I began this work, it was such a foreign concept. I picked up the book, The Language of Emotions in 2010, I think, or 2011, right after Carla McLaren had written it. I was new as a massage therapist, and one of the things I was noticing immediately when I was in massage school was that I would pick up other people's emotions. I would almost put them on, or I would feel them as if they were emanating from this person as I was giving them a massage. It was very confusing for me because I had learned to repress and ignore my emotions throughout my life and my childhood, and that was my M.O., throughout my 20s as well. So as I went through massage school, I was noticing this. And especially as I began massage practice, I would take on people's emotions. I felt exhausted. It felt dirty, like wearing somebody else's clothes. And I didn't know what to do. I had no idea. I had no information about how emotions worked. I had just been taught to not trust them, to ignore them, to repress them, to pretend like I wasn't having them. When I picked up Carla's book and began reading The Language of Emotions, it opened up a new way of thinking to me. It was a totally new paradigm that really gave me a way forward because I felt like I was at a dead end. And with this paradigm of your emotions are there, they have important messages for you. They're there to support you in being who you are. And 
you can trust your emotions. Your emotions are like your best friends. Mm. All of this was so mind blowing to me. It took me, well, I, I read the book, different parts of it over the years for four years. And then in 2014, I went to a live workshop with Carla. It was a, an emotion theater workshop. So there were 20 or 30 of us students and we all stood in a circle and we learned about emotions in a very visceral way by talking about them, but also not acting out emotions, but acting out a scenario where certain emotions act certain ways. So that was my first introduction to her. Um, The next year I took, uh, did another retreat with her and I, uh, along with some other people in the retreat, convinced her that it was necessary for her to start a training program to train people in her work, to train people in teaching about the language of emotions. She started it later that year. It's called Dynamic Emotional Integration. And I'm the first cohort. So I graduated the first year as a licensed DEI trainer and consultant. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that you're like part of the, uh, you're the alumni, like old school. (laughs) This saw it as a necessity. I thought I need this. I know so many other people who need this work. Yeah. Yeah. It is needed. And I originally, I wanted, I'd love to see this being taught in schools because kids need to know how to listen to their emotions, that their emotions are there to support them, that they have essential information for them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said you can trust your emotions. I wrote that down. That is such a potent statement. Yeah. Tell me, Anchin, going to that retreat, learning how to trust your emotions, how to listen and befriend them. What did that do for you in your life? So you were exhausted drained, maybe even we could use the word burnout, stress. How did learning to trust your emotions and the feedback, the messages that they were giving you, what shifted for you? Mm. So first of all, learning to trust my emotions has been a long process of, if you think about uncovering layers of grime, right, to, to find a beautiful statue that's been buried in the earth. I've been chipping away, like hard, hard work of chipping away all those layers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like I am, I'm really learning each of my emotions. So in DEI, we, Carla defines 17 emotions and um, anger was honestly one of the first emotions that I really started looking at hard, really wanting to understand. As I started looking at this emotion, looking at the the gifts of the emotion and how it felt in my body, questioning it, like, why am I angry? Um, Putting together the pieces of, well, I don't feel angry. I feel frustrated, or I'm just slightly irritated right now, or I feel resentful. Putting together all those pieces of, well, this is all different aspects of anger at different 
levels of intensity. And why do I feel angry like this so often? So as I learned the message of anger, and that anger is about defining what's important to you. What are your values? What do you stand up for? What are the, in not only important, but the essential aspects of your life that you hold dear to your heart? And as, as I learned what those were, a lot of them were what I really expected them to be. But I also learned that I had been holding things close to my heart that I thought I should, but I didn't really value. Mm. And so I, I let go. I had to get rid of a lot of stuff too. Yeah. As I went through this process of, of whittling away and of refining my values, what was important to me, what I was willing to stand up for, speak up for, that helped me tune my ear to my anger when it was soft, gentle, when it was more of a whisper of irritation of, I don't like the way that person talked to me. Do I need to have a word with them? Or is this something that will work itself out on its own? Or on a more practical level, uh, I really like seeing daffodils in the springtime. And that means that I need to buy my daffodil bulbs by October and put them in the ground so that I will have bulbs in the spring or flowers in the spring, depending on what my priorities are, right? My priorities direct my actions. The thing that has really helped me trust my emotions is getting rid of all the ideas about emotions that weren't mine, all the, all the messages I had around emotions. And in DEI, we call them emotion shaming messages. Things like don't cry or um, don't be scared. We're just, be, we're just told not to feel things all the time or don't be angry. It, you know, doesn't look good on you. Or, um, you know, people are, I walk down the street even now and someone will say, smile, you look better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as I released, not released, I used a really powerful practice called burning contracts. I to, love that exercise. To get rid of it. It was a very, it's a very powerful imaginal practice to burn the contracts that I no longer agree with, that I never consciously took on in the first place, the messages that I'm done with. I don't need to listen to that anymore. So for example, actually a few days ago, I burned a really powerful contract called, um, it was about not taking up space in the world. Mm. And so common for women, right? Oh, Smaller. I would see this when I was doing body work. People would, um, I had a client who had pain in her hips. And it was very clear the message, oh, she should be smaller. I was like, what the heck? This is just a human body. Yeah. So anyway, I worked with this message, um, burned that contract, felt great. And then uh, that night in bed next to my husband, I was thinking, I need a bigger bed. <laughs> I just wanted to spread out. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It was so great to, to feel that, to, to 
honor that part of myself. And it almost felt like reclaiming a part of myself and a part of my truth. Yeah. So the burning contracts, what I'm hearing you say are a, and this is part of some of the work we did in your beautiful, amazing course, befriending anger are a way to tangibly almost get rid of any limiting beliefs, any misunderstandings, any gunk that we have bought into throughout our lifetime mostly as in our childhood, so much in our childhood conditioning, but even beyond that, it's a tangible way to just let them go and release them, give them back. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it was never yours in the first place or a lot of this stuff was never yours. Yeah. And it's a, it can be a physical practice where you actually write things down and then burn it. It can be an imaginal practice where you imagine writing things down. And I like it this way because oftentimes the the contracts I've taken on are not something I can express in words, but it's more of a feeling. Mm. So I'll just, sometimes I'll just have this kind of sludge come out that I've taken on. I'm, I'm done with that now. I don't need it. I don't need to define it. It wasn't mine. I made space for it at one point, but I don't have space for it now. So out it goes. Yeah. I'm thinking how free and clear you must feel in your life and how most folks in today's world crave that. Oh, it's, I feel like I have superpowers because I know how to work with my emotions. I know how to name them, which is probably the most important thing you can do once you become aware of your emotions is name them. I can name them. I have questions I can ask myself to, to find out, well, what is this coming from? What is this related to? Have I overstepped my boundaries, for example, or have I have I hurt myself? Have I hurt somebody else? And then I can take really conscious action. Yeah. Yeah. Really intentional, conscious action, not the autopilot. I was thinking as you were talking about some of the shaming messages we, we get, even, I think it was two years ago when I quote unquote knew better, my oldest son was battling something where he was just really sad. And I was in autopilot mode. Speaking of, you know, conscious, not being conscious, like you just mentioned, I was in total autopilot mode and guess what slipped right out of my mouth. Don't be sad. And as it was coming out of my mouth, it was like, I was trying to stop myself because I knew no, 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 no. And, you know, I was able to repair and clean up my clean up what I said, but I couldn't believe, I almost couldn't believe that I did it. And it was a gift at the same time. Like, wow, this is what happens when I've done so much work, healing work, recovery work. And when you go into autopilot, it just, it just slides right out. Oh yeah. Autopilot is a really interesting feature of being human. Yeah. The way I like to think about it is if you're on autopilot, especially in a situation with your children, because motherhood and, and well, parenthood is so very intense. And a lot of times you're just trying to solve problems and survive. Yeah. That there's, um, I think there might be two things going on there. One in the sense of, there might be a sense of panic of like, I've just had to fix the situation because my kid is going to die. Mm-hmm. Not that your kid is literally going to die, but in the sense of my kid is hurting and I will give anything in my power to make that stop. But the second part of it is 
sometimes there are old pieces of ourselves who are still stuck in the past, having those same emotions or, or living by those old rules. And so when we slide into autopilot mode, right, we're just accessing those parts of ourselves who haven't been brought up to date yet. So it sounds like you did really good work of bringing yourself up to date. It's like, oh, hey, honey, I'm living right here. <laughs> this is me now. This is how I operate. Yeah. Yeah. And often I even, I even tell people in my work, so much of boundary work is about getting out of auto mode, auto yesing. You know, we just, boom, somebody makes a request of us. And often when, because we're in pattern, we don't many times know what our values are. As you mentioned, we just go into that auto. Yes. Cause we don't know any other way. It's familiar to us to just keep, keep on the auto mode. Right. That habitual pattern of responding. Yes. Or doing what you think people expect of you falling into the same, um, neural patterning Yeah, that it is essential to become aware of your emotions, but also when you're learning to work with your boundaries, it's really essential to become aware of what your values are in many different ways. So when I first began to work with my boundary with Carla, she has this practice called defining your boundary where you uh, put your arms out to your side and you kind of define this egg-shaped bubble around you as your personal space. And I thought that was fine, but I didn't see how that connected to my values and actually saying something like, uh, excuse me, I'm standing in line here and you just stepped in front of me. Would you please step behind me? Right? Like I just stood up for my myself, but I didn't see how defining my boundary could help me do that. Mm-hmm. I, I needed something like very concrete to make that jump from here's my personal space to here I am saying things that are going to help define my personal space. Mm-hmm. And so I really advocate doing lots of different practices to help you become aware of and familiar with what it feels like to feel comfortable in your personal space. One of the practices I have students do is make a list of the things that are important to you, the people, places, and things that are important to you, the things that you hold close to your heart and that you would stand up for. And oftentimes just the practice of making it conscious, right? You're writing out a physical list where you can read and see those things that you hold close to your heart. And for me as a visual person, that's very powerful for somebody who's more, um, I don't know, physical or kinesthetic. It might be uh, more of, of like moving around and seeing things that are relating to it or physically grabbing those people that you're close to. Yeah. Finding but what's really important is listening inside to find the way that's right for you to define your boundary. And I have suggestions, but ultimately the truth is within you. Yes. hundred percent, hundred percent. So Anchin, why do you think that emotions get a bad rap? People don't know how to work with emotions and when they don't know how to work with them, they repress them to the point or they express them all over everybody, right? They repress them to the point where they get to the bubbling and they just explode. When your anger gets really intense, it 
can be really disrespectful of other people's boundaries. It might say, no, I want the chocolate ice cream and you don't get any, right? (laughs) Been there. (laughs) The key to working with your emotions is listening to them. And sometimes they do need to get really intense to give you the energy to take action on something that where it's essential that you take action. Um, But a lot of times people are having soft emotions that because they're soft, they can't ignore them. And mm-hmm. then the emotions get to a medium state of feeling maybe a thrumming against your skin under your skin. You're thinking I'm, I'm constantly thinking about how this person always takes the last of the creamer at work and I, and they never replace it. And so I'm, I'm always a person who's going out and getting coffee creamer and this is ridiculous. And um, I'm going to start putting mean things into the creamer instead of just having the <gasps> Hey, I notice that you take the coffee, the last of the coffee creamer every freaking day. Yeah. Like it too. How can we fix this? How can we make this so that I'm not the one who's always going out and buying it or whatever the situation might be? Yeah. Yeah. Those crucial conversations, you know, we're so terrified. And again, so much of it, I think is, is our conditioning. We're so terrified of conflict, not really understanding how conflict can actually be a beautiful tool to bring us together. Right. Because the conflict can bring up a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. So the thing is when you're working well with your anger, you know what you care about. You know what you hold close to your heart and what you feel vulnerable about. Mm-hmm. So when you know those things, then you can make the choice of communicating with this coffee creamer stealer <laughs> and saying and deciding, you know, is it worth it to me to talk to this person about it? And do I think that they're going to be respectful of my position or is this something that um, I don't trust them to be respectful or is this something that I am blowing out of proportion? Mm. And how does one know which it is? Is there a right answer? You got to listen to your emotions, right? I mean, in this part, in this case, I would think back to my previous experiences with this person and, and think, well, was this person respectful of, um, in that situation with the water cooler, for example, I'm making up all these imaginary things. Cause I don't actually work in an office with other people. <laughs> oh, come on. We all know who you're talking about. Angie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, think back to to other experiences with this person. Well, were they respectful then? Were they able to communicate? Or is there good reason that I don't want to confront this person? Is there a good reason for me to feel insecure or unsafe when talking to this person? Mm. So I'm I'm trusting my emotions. My intuition might say, eh, that doesn't feel safe. Maybe we can handle this in a different way, right? But another thing I might say is my anger might say is, you know what, let's give this person a chance. I'm going to state my boundary 
and I'm going to be respectful of their boundary. And um, I know within myself that this is important enough to me that I'm going to say something about it. And in that sense, I'm going to feel secure and proud of myself. If this person is disrespectful when we talk and dismisses me or claims that I'm lying or whatever it is, then I will know that I can't trust this person or that I don't feel safe around this person and that I don't want to have any more interactions with them. So I had to put myself out there and take a risk. I had to be willing to do that to see what would happen and how would this person respond. And that's part of working with my anger as well, knowing that I am stable and sturdy enough within myself, my values, and what I'm willing to stand up for, that I'm willing to take this risk. And that I know that it's not going to crumple me if this person disrespects me or um, says something demeaning to me. And this is where the boundary work becomes so deep and so internal. Boundaries are those things that we externally communicate with other folks. And what I really want people to understand is how beautifully deep and internal they can be. And to your point in that situation, and that's why I asked you, oh, is there a right way? And I was being a little tongue in cheek, right? Because I want people to really understand it's actually not. It's about trusting yourself, going within, feeling your way through it. And and yes, a little bit of cognitive, hey, what's my experience been like with this person before? Are they just sort of a person that shows up in life that just clearly doesn't have any like understanding? Or could I maybe have this conversation with this person? You know, but it goes back ultimately to trusting yourself, trusting your emotions, and really doing the work around maybe even perhaps setting some boundaries with yourself in a situation like that. Like, I am not going to leak out. If I've made the choice, perhaps to not speak to this individual about this, because this doesn't feel right to me to approach Mr. Coffee Creamer, for whatever reason, he's shown me that he's not necessarily a safe person emotionally, then we can't also have anger leaking out of us in these backhanded ways. And Mr. Coffee Creamer standing there going, well, geez, what did I do to her? Not having any indication of what's really surfacing underneath, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. That's so important to be really above board with yourself about your motivations. Yeah. Especially with our fear of, um, not control, our fear of um, conflict. Mm -hmm. Then it's oftentimes easier, especially if if you have old contracts about what conflict means about you or blah, blah, blah. Right. So if you decide not to confront this person, but yet you still feel resentful, then you're not really dealing with your emotions about this. Bingo. Yeah. And then that's going to come out sideways and that's going to be passive aggressive, some judgment and people feel that. Yep. So I'm hearing you say, Anchin, in your, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, in your terminology that a boundary is really about getting clarity on the things that matter to you. Values, 
priorities. And when those things become violated, we'll use that word, it's kind of an intense word, that's when some of the anger can surface. Yep. Yeah. Actually, it's, I had a student who put this really well. He said that anger is an everyday emotion. Mm-hmm. And I love that he said that because it is. Every day is you're a huge plethora of choices, right? When you wake up in the morning, you decide what kind of clothing you're going to wear, what you're going to have for breakfast, how you're going to act that day, what you're going to pay attention to and what you're going to let slide. Like you have so many choices and all those choices are based on your values. So when you are really in touch with what your values are and what's important to you, then making these choices is easier. It's, you gain clarity around them. And I'm not saying that I'm clear all the time. That's absolutely not true. However, I'm clear about certain things that are important to me. So for example, I'm a kind of a health nut. So I, it's important to me that I feed my family a healthy breakfast before they head off into the world and before I step into my home office. And so that's one of my priorities in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So setting the boundary around other people don't get this time. You know, I I don't take phone calls before 8 a.m. or texts, or maybe I don't hop on social media until 9 or 10 a.m. because my top priority is getting these kids off to school, feeding their bellies, feeding my belly in a way that nourishes me so I can go out and do my work in the world as well. Absolutely. Right. And so when I'm clear about what my values are, then it makes my actions much more clear as well. Yeah. And something that I do and As I began this work, it was a very occasional thing. And now as I've been doing this work for seven years, I guess, something like that, six years, I check in with myself every morning when I am awake, just awake, awakening in bed and about to get up. I check in with myself and I just check in and see, okay, well, how, how is everybody doing? How, how are all the emotions doing? Does anybody need attention? Mm-hmm. What are my priorities today? I think about my to-do list. So my anxiety is there helping me look to the future and plan for the future and say, well, how am I going to support myself to do the things I need to do so that I can feel safe and comfortable and prepared? Doing that morning check-in for me, and I mean, for different people, it's going to be at different times, but it is a very centering thing, and it's defining my boundary for the day. It's saying, okay, this is what I'm focusing on. This is what's important to me, and I'm going to protect this area of focus or these, these values. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up the anxiety. I've actually had Carla on the podcast as well. I'm going to put the link to that podcast, uh, in the show notes, because we talked a lot about anxiety and how it has been deemed as in an invaluable demonic type emotion. And it's not actually, it's not. And so I've heard, I heard you say very clearly, 
using that anxiety a little bit about your to-do list to see what's going on underneath the hood here. What's happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The thing about emotions is that they don't just come up one at a time. Your anger couples with your anxiety a lot of the time to help you prioritize what you need to get done so that you feel good about your projects or about these classes that you have coming up or, you know, that you have planned that you're going to bring your daughter lunch when you pick her up so she won't turn into a little monster at you, right? It's your anxiety that's helping you make these plans and your anger that helps you, that helps you take action to carry, to carry them out. Yeah. Yeah. So how would somebody be able to tell Anshin if they're angry? What are some of the signals, the signposts that folks can watch out for? Ooh, this is a very individual thing, but I'm going to guess that most people have an idea of when they feel angry. Um, So some things I've heard from people about when they feel angry is um, they might feel like they get hot. And this is like medium state or intense state anger. Um, They might feel a sense of conviction. Yes, I am right. Or a sense of needing to stand up for themselves. Um, A sense of detachment, like clarity around the situation of, oh yes, I see what needs to happen here. Mm. Um, Oftentimes irritation might be just a, a flicker on your shoulder of like, this person's not doing what they said they would, right? It's important to listen to those voices. <laughs> it's important to listen to that. Um, but oftentimes that when you are getting to know your anger, you are taking the role of the observer of yourself and you're noticing your own behavior, your own sensations in a situation. So say for example, you go down to a dirty dishwasher yet again. And you're like, why did somebody not just run the dishwasher? Oh, that and- never happens in my household ever. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So that was my irritated voice. And I'm noticing, oh, hey, Anshin, that was your irritated voice. <laughs> yeah. And so then I can, then I can question myself. And the questions for anger are, what do I value? What must be protected and restored? So what I value is just systems. You know, you, you load the dishwasher, just turn it on. Yeah. Well, it must be protected and restored. Well, is this really worth talking to my husband about it? Um, Cause it's really, it's, it's him and I, it's, I can't really put my daughter into the mix yet. <laughs> or is this something that I need to reevaluate and say, yeah, it's a simple thing, but it, it takes maybe 30 seconds to do this. Is it really such a big deal that I'm going to talk to him about it? I'm like, well, yeah, it is a really big deal to me. Like this is irritating me over and over again. Maybe we could just have a conversation. So as I'm observing myself, right, I'm, I'm noticing my irritated voice and my like, ah, and then I can maybe ask, well, is this about something bigger? Yeah. Right. Like there's the dishwasher. Sure. But what is really bothering me? <laughs> yeah. Is, is this a familiar feeling? You know, if we ride that back in time, does that feeling of perhaps not that being overlooked is a feeling that would be more of an interpretation, but help me out here. Uh, what would being neglected or being granted or, you know, just disrespected. Yeah. Yeah. If we ride that feeling back in time, is that familiar? 
Exactly. And what you're doing when you're getting to know your emotions is you're building a catalog of experiences of each emotion. So as I become more familiar with anger, I have learned that when I feel resentful, it means that I'm not speaking up for my needs. And if, especially if I'm feeling resentful of, um, I don't know, somebody getting something that I wanted, I can look at it and say, oh, I wanted that for myself, whether it's a, you know, a stay at a cabin in the woods or a new car or whatever it is, Mm. right? I can look at that, turn it around and say, oh, I'm feeling resentful because you're getting something that I, that I need for myself that I feel like I need, but it took years to figure out what I was resentful about and then to that as my own, because there's a lot of baggage around feeling resentful, right? People aren't, you're not supposed to feel resentful. You're, you're supposed to be giving and lovely and have no boundaries. (sighs) Back to the boundary conversation, right? Yeah. All about boundaries. It's all about communicating those boundaries and what's, and knowing what's important to you knowing what you need and being realistic about this too. I mean, it's, it's nice to think, Oh, I'm an energizer bunny. I can go and do everything all day long. But then if you notice that someone is sitting on your porch and they have a drink in their hand and they're like flipping through their phone, like you, you should be working. That, That right there, that, that accusatory tone is really good indicator of I'm having some strong emotions about this. What emotions am I having and what are they trying to tell me? That's why this work is so beautifully slow. It's what I love about it. You know, we want everything to be such a quick fix in today's culture. And this work is slow. It takes time. Absolutely. But the thing is, if you were to jump all the way to the bottom at the beginning your life would look so different. You might not recognize it. Yeah. Because it's such a process of letting go, of transformation, of shifting your priorities, of perspective, like all these things. So you're really, you're unpeeling layers of history to get to the core of who you are. Yeah. Anjan, what tips or advice might you have for that person that's listening that their mind has been the only safe place to be. They've disconnected from the chin down. They're terrified to get back in their body and feel their feelings. Absolutely. I completely understand that person. The first thing to do is to define a safe space for themselves. Like where is, where is there a space where you can go, where you feel safe? Is that your bedroom? Is it the bathroom? Um, Is it in your car? It is essential to find that space. And if you don't have that space, then how can you create it? Because having a safe physical space, it lets your brain know that you can relax, but also it forms a physical boundary for you when you haven't been able to form a boundary for yourself. 
I can really attest to how essential that is. Years ago, I stumbled upon the Huga lifestyle, which is from uh, the Danish culture. And if you research the word Huga, it's not even really a word. It's more of a feeling state. So it's, it again, it comes from the Danes. And it's more about what things do you need to bring into your space to create that feeling of safety, comfort, mm-hmm. and coziness. So for me, it's a space with a heavy blanket, blanket where I just really love the texture and the weight. Sense of smell is extraordinarily important to me. It gets me back into my body and it really creates that felt sense of coziness and safety in my body. So that might look like essential oils, always looks like candles, you know, things that really make that, that space a safe place for me. And often it requires, you know, something warm to drink as well. Typically, you know, bone broth or a nice cup of warm water with a little bit of lemon in it. But again, creating that felt sense of safety in my system has, I started it years ago and, and I swear by it. It's just that tangible thing that we can do to really go, okay, this is my little space of safety. Yeah. And it sounds like you've really developed this into something that is uh, almost like a terroir, right? It's very uh, individual, unique to you. And that's what you're learning when you are tuning into your boundary. And when you're defining this boundary is you are learning that for yourself. What is, what is it for me? What is it that makes me feel safe? What are the essential aspects of that for me, right? Is it the art that I have on my walls? Is it that my door has a lock and that I know people are not going to disturb me for three hours? Um, Is it that I have a big cushy chair to sit in? Is it that I'm wearing a hand knit sweater? What is it, right? And it's different for each person, right? Is it that you have your favorite person next to you? So tuning in and really listening to yourself, even if you have judgments about that, right? Just being aware, oh, I have a judgment about that, but set that aside and listen like, oh, I want my childhood teddy bear. Awesome. That's great. I mean, this is just for you. Nobody else is going to know. This is just for you. And I think it's really important to your point to, you mentioned about the judgment to not minimize any of it. You know, speaking about the essential oils, and this might seem like such a silly example, but I think it's really important and worth pointing out because so many folks are like, well, I got to get it right. And how do I know? And and it goes back to, of course, that self-trust, but even with something as simple as, you know, my candles and my essential oils, I really love woodsy smells. I like sandalwood. I like cedarwood. I like ylang ylang. Those are absolutely essential for me to budget out, to have at my disposal. I don't prefer the citrus smells as much. Call me right, call me wrong. It's who I am. It's what I like. And so when we can start to get to know, I like pistachio ice cream. (laughs) I like sandalwood. I like cedarwood. I like heavy blankets or whatever. It's part of getting to know ourselves. And when we get to know ourselves through those simple little things and take ownership, it's, it's almost as if we're saying, I have a right to want this and to need this and to require this because it's part of my boundary. It's part of who I am. Yeah. 
And this actually, you bring up a really interesting point in the sense that it seems to me that so many women specifically, but men too, I've noticed, have been taught to, to not listen to themselves and that what they need to do is to please other people, to somehow intuit or guess what they need to do so that they can please do things to please other people or fit this mold. And I remember I went through a phase of this where I decided that I, I was too forthright. And so I stepped back and I said, oh, whatever you want to do. Oh, sure. Let's, let's do that. And I decided that I had no opinions and it made things a lot more difficult because I, I started forgetting what I liked. I didn't stand up for myself and I felt much more uh, resentful and unhappy because I wasn't getting anything that I wanted or liked anymore. I wasn't feeling fulfilled in so many ways. And so coming back to myself was in a sense, reclaiming myself and rediscovering too, exploring what I liked. Um, I went through an essential oil phase and I learned that I really didn't like certain ones. And I thought, wow, okay, well, that was a mistake, but (laughs) live and learn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Even, even as you were speaking, I don't know why my mind wandered off in this direction a little bit, but Pia Melody speaks about in her book, Facing Codependence, one of the symptoms of codependency is for a codependent a person who has codependent symptoms, tendencies, patterning, they have trouble owning their reality. So how often, even in the world, do we have conversations with people where they're telling us how things went down? where they're telling us how things are, you know, you and I, before we hit the record button and went live, we were talking about how essential perspective is. It's everything. And when we take that and and weave that into that owning our reality, you know, when somebody's coming at us saying, well, you, you did this and you did that, you know, just taking that ownership and saying, that's not my reality. It's not my reality. I don't see it that way. I don't prefer X, Y, or Z. You, you know what, again, it's a way to, to really take ownership of who we are and what we stand for and speak our truth. Yes. And that's really the es- essence of learning yourself. Yeah. And you can have lots of mistakes as well. You know, you might try things and learn that that's not for you and that's okay. Or you might have ideas about who you should be. And honestly, Shoulds are probably another entire huge topic. Yep. (laughs) Whole other podcast, whole podcast series, really, that could be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But if you are listening to yourself and you recognize, oh, I'm, I'm hearing a should. Immediately, you can put that aside and say, oh, okay, that's probably not mine. Yeah. But try things out, like explore, experiment. In a sense, you are getting to know yourself. So if you met a new friend, you wouldn't make assumptions about this person and say, oh, this person obviously only likes chocolate cake and black coffee. Well, not really. Maybe this person doesn't even like chocolate. And that's okay. It's not like you're going to say, I like you or I don't like you, depending on your culinary tastes. Well, maybe you would. (laughs) There's that. Depending on your values, what's really yeah. important to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how deeply embedded those values are. 
Yeah. When we're, talk, when we're talking about things like chocolate cake, it probably doesn't matter that much, but we start moving into things like conversations around religion and politics. And, and now all of a sudden we've got division. Like I can't be friends with that person because they're a raging left-wing liberal or a raging right-wing conservative. We just can't be friends. Right. And having those values, but also like in those two sentences you just said, those are a lot of assumptions there and expectations that you're placing on this person. Yeah. And you know, there's a huge range of who people are and why they believe what they believe. And if you just have a conversation. Yes. 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 And just leaned into vulnerability a little bit and we're willing to just be open to somebody else's way of thinking and, and upbringing and perspective, standing firm in your opinion. I think that's, I think that's really essential, not being so swayable. I don't think that's probably a word, but maybe it is now (laughs) not being easily, you know, letting go of your own opinions, knowing where you stand on things. And at the same time, it's another human being. Right. Understanding our mutual humanity. Yeah. Leading with curiosity. Right. Instead of the idea of, oh, I know what's right. And you said, you don't think the way I do, you're wrong. Right. But accepting that there can be multiple perspectives and multiple right, I'm doing air quotes, ways of being. Yeah. Yeah. And how often do we lose out on really beautiful relationships because, well, they don't think like we do. They're on the opposite side of the political party than I am. Sure. Yeah. And that's something to really consider within yourself. Is this something I want to put energy into and explore? Is this person somebody who I think I could relate to in other ways or who is meaningful and important to me? Yeah. Yeah. So final question, and maybe this is a bigger biggie, but for that person that's listening, that thinks, how do I befriend my anger? I was taught that anger was wrong. Anger was a sin. Anger was just this demon type emotion. Now I'm hearing befriend my anger. What in the world? How do I do that? What does that even mean? Yeah. Well, I think that there's two different angers that we're talking about here. The the demon anger um, that you were taught not to express is that really intense anger. It's like when you get into a towering rage, you're like, I want to hatch it in both hands and I'm going to chop this house down. <laughs> right? That kind of anger is really intense. There's a lot of energy behind it. And it is, it's really scary. A lot of people don't know how to handle that. And so they're like, no, you can't have that kind of anger. Not okay. But when you can listen to your anger, when it's softer, before it gets to that towering rage, because there's been a lot of little incidents and things that have happened to bring you to that intense state of anger. Yeah. When you can listen to your anger, when it's at its mediums, when you can notice that you're angry at its medium state of like, wow, I feel really angry about this political situation. Then you can name that to yourself. Wow. I feel really angry. And I'm at this medium state of anger. And um, actually Carla has created this great resource called the emotional vocabulary list, which divides the emotions into three sections, soft, medium, and intense state. So I'll show you the soft, medium, and intense state. And you can see I've written on my anger all over it, right? Yeah. 
There's a free handout that's available on my website, emotionalalliance.com. And this is something that you can use to help you define how you're feeling when you notice like, wow, I want to stomp holes in the ground. So you can look at your list and say, wow, I am feeling hateful. I'm ranting. I'm literally ranting. I'm raving. I'm seething. Like I'm really intensely angry right now. And I feel actually hatred as well. So I obviously care a lot about this thing and I might need some time to cool off before I can really address it. Mm. The thing about anger is that for some reason we expect people to manage their emotions like that. Yeah. They haven't had any experience with regulating their emotions or haven't built up an arsenal of tools to be able to help them recognize where they are with their emotions and to regulate them, to downregulate their emotions. So being able to do that, and it takes time to build these skills. It takes time to parse out why you're feeling so enraged and you want to chop this house down with your bare hands. Like, What's behind that? And with that, you can ask the questions. What do I value? What must be protected and restored? Powerful questions. And then you can, it's, it's listening to yourself. And oftentimes the answer will come just like that. It'll come very quickly. And you'll be very clear. And now there can be a lot of other emotions that come with these answers. That's the thing. We can often have emotions about our emotions and feel it can be very complicated. Yeah. Right. And it might be, well, my mom told me that I'm never supposed to do something like this. Or I, when I was growing up, I, um, I was never allowed to show that I was angry. So I was never allowed to take action to protect my boundaries or to own my things, right? I had to share everything because I had three siblings. So understanding where these behaviors and these patterns come from, it's a big part of learning to work with your emotions now. And as you become more aware of what you're feeling, are able to name it, then you are increasing your emotional awareness. When as you increase your emotional awareness, it's going to give you more time and conscious ability of to work with your emotions when they come up. And at first you might just start by noticing like, oh, I'm feeling an emotion. And that right there is a big step from being unconscious to being conscious. And that's what we're working on is just being conscious with our emotions. We're working from being unconscious and incompetent to being unconsciously competent. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So you mentioned that people can find you on emotionalliance.com. That's your website. Where else can people find you anywhere if they want to get in touch with you? I teach courses at Empathy Academy. So that's empathyacademy.org. Okay. Any classes right now coming up? Yes. I have a class coming up in July 18th called Befriending Shame. And I think one of my favorite classes because shame is, it has such a bad rap, but is such a wonderful emotion that is freeing for you. This is the only way I can describe it. It has made such a huge difference in my life for me to befriend my shame. And I just want to, to, to sprinkle this like fairy dust around because it's such a powerful thing to be able to work consciously with instead of hiding from. 
Yeah. And I, I'm going to make a bold statement, but I really do believe that I don't think there's, I don't think there's a human on the planet that has not experienced some sort of shame. Sure. Yeah, that's good. That's normal. I mean, it's a really essential emotion and it helps guide our actions every day, but it's when we don't listen to shame or when we listen too much to shame that it's really difficult. And oh, that reminds me, I'm doing a pod or a YouTube series about different aspects of shame right now. Beautiful. So people can find you on YouTube? Yes, you can find me on YouTube under Emotion Alliance. Okay. And we'll have all of the links so that people can just click and find you easily. But that is a shame is, I'm so thankful. I'm just so grateful that you're you're tackling that really big, hefty, beautiful topic. Thank you. Oh yeah. It's such a pleasure. I've totally enjoyed um, looking at that topic and I've really enjoyed my time here today. Oh, same, same. This was a really, really beautiful conversation. So again, we'll have all the links in the show notes so that people can really find you easily. Any final thoughts for the listeners, Anchin? Listen to yourself. You have wisdom within you. Yeah. Potent and beautiful advice. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. If you like this episode or you're a fan of the Becoming Boundaried show, the best way you can show your support is to share it on your social media outlets and with your family and friends. And if you're feeling really generous, we would love for you to hop on over to iTunes and give us a review. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of this community. Have an amazing week, and as always, stay true to you.